Hello, everyone, and welcome back to a theater near you. My name is Chris Randazzo, and I'm joined this evening, as always, by literal tank pilot Paul Giroux. Hey there, everybody. And surprisingly good cook, Sean Doyle. Ahoy, hoy! Bam! <laughs> this month's movie was the reboot slash remake slash movie adaptation of The A-Team. How has it fared after all these years? Let's find out. But first, how are you, gentlemen? I'm doing pretty good. Yeah, I mean, I can't complain. I mean, I could, but I'd just be complaining at this point. <laughs> complaining for the sake of complaining. Actually, you know what? I'm going to complain. Do you want me to complain? I, you know what? Go for it. Have at it. My, the beginning of my week has not been that great, right? <laughs> <laughs> and and here's why. My kid has dug these little holes in the backyard, right? <laughs> and, like, okay. when I questioned him about it i was like why are you digging these little holes in the backyard and he's got all these things he's like oh yeah like i'm putting these miniature hippos by the hole so it's like a watering hole for the miniature hippos you know and i was like can we just fill in the hole when you're done like can we not have these danger holes out here when i'm mowing the lawn and he's like yeah i'll do it and then you know of course he doesn't so there's just danger holes all over my backyard so (laughs) Sunday, I was like, all right, go get the dog. We're going to wash the dog. Like, you go out there and leash her up. So he goes out, walks around the side of the house, and then the next thing I hear is, so walked right into a danger hole, twisted his ankle, um, and then, you know, for the fact that, like, he could actually go back to school and I've been so happy that I have time during the day, he's had to be remote all week because... Uh, he can't he get her. his ankle. Yeah, he's on this. He's got like an air cast, and he had to go get a. Um, he had to go get a um, <laughs> X-ray to make sure that it wasn't broken. So, you know, he's hobbling around here in this little cast, driving me nuts, all because he <laughs> dug all these stupid holes in the backyard. You know, and everybody's like, "Oh, that's like that's a shame. Like, poor guy. He must be. You know, he must feel bad. He must be really hurt." And I'm like, "You should have been digging dumb holes." <laughs> Yeah, like when your kid gets hurt, but it's totally their fault, you immediately want to think, think like, okay, is he okay? And then the second you realize they're available, like, see, this is why you don't dig holes all over the yard. This is why I told you not to jump on the furniture, because eventually you're going to fall off and conk your head on the table. And yeah, it sucks. And now I get to pour hydrogen peroxide on your open wound, and you're going to hate that shit. But maybe you'll remember not to jump on the couch next time. Well, it is a movie podcast, but I do thank you for giving me the chance to vent. <laughs> Anytime. That's what we're here for. All right. So we are talking about the A team. So let's get down get get some of the basics out of the way. The A team released on June eleventh, two thousand ten and would and was distributed by twentieth Century Fox. It was directed by Joe Carnahan, who also directed two thousand two's Narc, two thousand six's Smoke and Aces, and the upcoming boss level starring Ryan Reynolds. The A-Team was an adaptation of the 1983 TV series by the same name, starred Liam Neeson, Bradley Cooper, Quentin Rampage Jackson, Charlto Copley, Jessica Biel, Patrick Wilson, and Yul Vasquez. The screenplay was done by Joe Carnahan, Brian Bloom, and Skip Woods. Wait, 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 hang on. Are you guys telling me that you watched some new A-Team and that I spent <laughs> last night watching every episode of the 1983 to 1987 classic TV show, The A-Team? Is that what you're telling me? You'll be fine because the movie was a 27-hour shot-for-shot remake of the original, <laughs> so it's going to line up. The conversation will be seamless. It's it's hard to know if I have a thing as this. We've only had two episodes of this podcast, but I'd like to say that's my thing to you know, say I'm, that I'm I watched a completely different thing than the rest of you. 
Oh God, is this podcast only about remakes and redos? Because that's that's where we're at at the moment. Wow, we are two for two on that. I will say that if you did actually go through and watch the old series, I have some questions. Because <laughs> uh, I have, I I acquired uh, a friend of mine. Evan is uh, capable of pretty much giving me anything I want through nefarious means. Uh, and he gave me all of the original series to watch. So I tried to watch a little bit of it before we recorded so that I could just kind of bone up on that. And when Sean got here, because Sean's recording in the same room as me this week. And uh, when he got here, I was you know watching a little bit of the first episode. And then we like backed out into the main menu and saw the cover for season five. And there was like another dude there. Oh. And uh, what was his name? Uh, Frankie Sinatra. Frankie Santana. We thought it was Sinatra at first because the title went by so fast. Frankie Santana. It was like a fifth dude. I I think I know a little bit about this. Um, uh, I I watched the whole series, but not recently. When there was a, a period of time where it was available on Netflix, and I you know sat and watched them all like a crazy person, one after the other. <laughs> um, but uh, apparently, George Papard and Mister T did not get along. Like they were not best buddies on set, and like. George Papard was the biggest name on the show and didn't like it that Mr. T had increasingly, you know, like gained mm-hmm. popularity very quickly and was kind of like the breakout star of the show. Um, so they brought in some other guy in the fifth season because it was like George Papard's buddy and they like were trying to make him happy. Like they were trying to make the set less tense and him not always be at, at Mr. T. Um, but, yeah. uh, I don't know. Like, I think the other guy was like a villain, but like sometimes he managed them. Like, he promised them that he could clear their names, and sometimes he worked with the A team, but sometimes he was like a villain. It was very, it was sort of confusing. Was he like the small Latino guy? Uh, that's who we're talking about. I think he's talking about the guy that I thought was in charge of the CIA. Yeah, that guy. What's that? There's I've seen two that guys, guy right? and other so stuff, there's, too. There's Frankie Santano, or whatever his name was, is like this like uh, almost intentionally ethnic-y-looking Italian-Spanish-y guy, but like over the top, you know, like 1980s style, over the top, like where they're leaning into it. Uh, and then there was another guy that looked like he was closer to George, Papa, George Papar's age, and that guy is, I think, who you're talking about. Like, sometimes he was trying to clear him. Sometimes he was chasing him. And I thought that guy's position, having not recently rewatched it, I thought he was, like, the head of the CIA or the head of the... I, like, he was in charge of catching him, but you're right. Sometimes he would give them missions. Sometimes it seemed like he was going to help them. I think that's who you're talking about. This was another guy who was, like, young, uh, and he had, like, a... Uh, Long black ponytail. Played by Eddie Velez. And he was kind of in shape. Like, he seemed like if he wasn't standing next, next to Mr. T, you'd be like, well, that guy's pretty strong. Hmm. Then I have no memory of this, and I cannot tell you who that guy is. Yeah, I, yeah, I don't I have any memory either. I had no memory of this this Frankie Santana guy either. And I'm trying to find the, uh, what's his name? I can't remember what else I've seen him in. Like, he's super familiar to me. Stockwell? Is that that guy's name? Was, uh, yeah, Stockwell Robert, was was the was the guy that was George Papard's friend, or the, you know the character that Robert he Vaughn. There Robert you go. Vaughn, yeah, yeah, yeah. That guy. What do I know him from? Let's see. Superman oh, that's three. that's the guy, not the ponytail guy. The other guy, right? Yeah, yeah. I can't remember what his position was. I I guess he wasn't the head of the Phoenix Foundation, but I wish that he was, because then you'd have like a tie-in over to MacGyver. It'd be awesome. <laughs> 
he was in Pootie Tang. Oh, I remember him from Law and Order. Uh, yeah, well, I remember that. I mean, if he was in Pootie Tang, then you know what more is there? Really, that's 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 the pinnacle of your career, right there. Obviously, obviously. Definitely. The when you mentioned the thing about Netflix, uh, watching all of the A team, I was I was thinking, you know, we we've all been there. You know, you just got a couple days down. You're like, I guess I'm, uh, MacGyver was my thing that I went to. I was like, what was in the '80s that I liked? Let me just watch all of MacGyver. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And you know what? While it, it might not be as great as you remember it, the theme song is amazing, and uh, it was still way better than that re that reboot they came out with a few years ago. So, yeah, and you know, sometime in the middle of season three, you go, "Well, I guess we're doing this." Like, <laughs> come this far. <laughs> what am I going to stop now? <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. Uh, so let's get to how we watch the movie. Uh, I watched this in my living room with my wife this time. Uh, we watched it on our Blu-ray, which we own because this movie rules. We watched the extended edition, which is on the Blu-ray. Uh, and honestly, I can't remember what's new for the extended edition over the theatrical one. Cause we've just been watching the extended edition for all these years. Uh, and, uh, the only snacks I had were a glass of chocolate milk. No snacks for me. What about, uh, Sean, what, what about you? How did you watch? So it's been hot this week, and so we watched in the bedroom because I haven't put in the window unit, and we only have built-in air conditioning in the bedroom for some reason because it's the 80s. And uh, so we watched in there, and I did watch with my girlfriend, uh, but we watched on the bedroom TV, which we have to replace because it now takes about 10 minutes to turn on. It does that <laughs> thing where you, you turn it on, and it like kind of turns on, then it turns off, and then it turns on by itself and turns itself off by itself for, I don't know. At first it was like 10 seconds, but it's up to like a good four or five minutes, like we'll turn the TV on before we go in the room because we're like, oh, we're going to need it in a little while. It doesn't seem okay. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's not okay. It's a, it's a good thing that, you know, COVID protocols are starting to relax and things are opening up again. Cause you're going to need to take a trip to the arcade and get yourself a new TV. <laughs> That's the first thing I said to her. I was like, well, how many tickets do we have on our card? She was like, ah, we got like 80, 90,000. I was like, ah, that, we don't need a, in the living room. We got like, you know, it's like a 55 inch, uh, that we got with the tickets, but that was like eight or nine hundred thousand tickets. But like in the bedrooms, a little bit smaller. I don't know, forty inch should be big enough. I think what we got in there now is like, I don't know, like thirty-seven or something. That's plenty big. It's I don't know, I don't know. So we got to fix that. But that's what I watched it on. <laughs> once that TV revs up, once the engine really gets firing, uh, then it's fine. Um, and snack wise, I had myself a beer and some potato chips. And the potato chips, I believe, were barbecue, if I remember correctly, and that was uh, that was my movie snack. Oh, nice. Yeah. Well, while Sean was uh, telling that story, I'm glad we didn't get into a whole conversation about how many inches are appropriate for the bedroom, because could have <laughs> taken this podcast somewhere else, but I uh, did Sean's so, upset that he missed this joke. Yeah, be happy about that. Um, yeah, so, I, you know, I'm going to start the story of... Um, of my experience with the A team a year ago, I'm gonna start it. Uh, I'm gonna start it a little over a year ago, oh, right? I'm on. Um, All right, because uh, you know, like so. So bring yourself back to uh, you know last year, uh, just before this time when everything started shutting down and like uh-huh. right. everything you were doing was like in your house under your blanket, you know, like hiding from the world. And then you'd, you know, like you'd get food delivered and you'd like wipe everything down and like hide and eat it in a quarter. I don't know if you remember like that whole like <laughs> thing that we Thanks went through. Thanks for making us relive that. Thank right. you. Um, but you know, when we were like all trapped in our houses and bored, um, I was, Looking around on the internet one day, and uh, Second Spin, which I 
had ordered many CDs and DVDs from over the year was going, or, you know, over the last couple of years was going out of business this, you know, around this time last year. And I was watching them put stuff on Facebook that was like, you know, 20% off, 30% off. And then at a certain point they were like 70% off. And then I was like, I can't afford not to go on here and buy a bunch of DVDs. <laughs> so, um, I, you know, I bought a stack of CDs and DVDs when they were going out of business and the A-Team was one of them, you know. It was just like, I, like I like this movie. I'm gonna watch this movie. Um, I don't know. I guess all the like streaming stuff and other stuff we've had, I haven't cracked it open in a year. So I was like, I know I have this DVD on my bookshelf, but like when you said, "Hey, we're doing this next," I was like, "Oh yeah, this movie," you know. And so um, again, like I had planned on watching it a couple days in advance of our recording. And again, I was like, wait, we're recording tomorrow? Like, <laughs> guess I better do this. Um, so, uh, yeah, I don't know. I watched it last night. My wife and I watched it in our in our basement on our TV where we, you know, watch everything, basically, because I'm not somebody that likes to watch stuff on computers. Um, and I, uh, I ate some motherfucking pie from Perkins while I was watching it. Motherfucking pie. Come on, little and uh, it was a it was a great night. Motherfucking pie. You guys both had DVDs that might have both been extended editions. I just watched whatever was streaming. Well, you know what? That's that's So you had a you had a DVD, right? Not the Blu-ray? No, I had the Blu-ray and I did watch oh, okay. the extended cut. Cuz again, I put it in after not having, you know, popped the thing in for a year, and then I was like, I have two choices. And I was like, well, of course I want to see this extended cut. <laughs> But now right. I don't remember what was in the theatrical cut, so I don't know. I don't know where it differs. Like I don't know what what the alternative was. I honestly don't either. And and like I, we had watched this pretty recently, and um, I was thinking like, well, maybe we should watch the theatrical cut just so that I could tell the difference. And then I said, no, <laughs> I don't want to watch a shorter version of this movie. Well, you know, now I'm wondering if I would have liked the theatrical cut better um because uh you know i did like this movie a great deal when it came out after watching it the other night i was like i don't know if it holds up quite as well as i thought it did um but that you know maybe some of that was the extended cut that i had not realized that i was watching something different or that i thought i was getting something better and maybe it wasn't better mm. i'm not sure yeah i think that uh one of the issues now i i adore this movie i'll watch it over and over again. I just love it. And but if I had to to critique it, which uh, you know, I guess that's kind of what we why we're here. Uh it's not really it's kind of mishmashy. Like there there and and there does seem to be a few extra talky scenes uh in the extended version that maybe weren't there in the original one that kind of keep it a little bit tighter because um where this movie works is like, oh, I, I wrote down, uh, I had a couple of notes. The movie's just incredibly chaotic, but it does a really great job of capturing the chaos in uh, a strikingly digestible way. And that mostly has to do with like, the, the cast just has this incredible chemistry. But that's for a lot of the, uh, the the action sequences. And all the stuff that's the glue that's between the action sequence, sequences some of it's great, and then some of it's very, like, I don't know, the plot is super convoluted in this, right? Like, I'm not even sure I really followed what was happening the whole time, the first time I saw the movie, and I didn't care 
because you know they tried to fly a tank and that was that was hysterical every time i see that scene i i just crack up hysterically i just love the over the top ridiculous action sequences in this but if i really had to try and nail down like what is what is it about this movie that other people didn't like because this movie kind of tanked it barely made its money back it is definitely not getting a sequel um no obviously by now it's been you know 12 years or whatever 11 years but uh it didn't perform well and i gotta wonder why because it seems like this seemed like so much fun and i loved it so much so maybe it was that people didn't want to go see it because it was confusing i I don't know but well i mean so here's some thoughts that i have if we're sort of ready to jump in um uh you know you mentioned the scene about the tank um and honestly like (laughs) That's one of the best. I think that is the best scene in the whole movie. And I'm sure we're, you know, I'm sure we're going to get into that later. But um, like just sort of looking at where the movie started out, because, you know, it's a lot of um, I mean, a- as you would expect an A-team movie to be, it's a lot of like crazy blockbuster, fast paced action sequences, you know, split up by plot like split up by plot point you know and it's almost like mm-hmm. waiting for when are we going to be able to you know to do the next action sequence and so when i wa- when we watched the beginning of the movie last night and it was the like part where they're all meeting you know it was the part where they all sort of like uh you know meet in the desert and like become a team by the time it was over and the thing said the A team, I paused it and I was like, that was 20 minutes until they like <laughs> told, you know, until the like, boom, this is the A team thing, right? And then also, I sort of picked that apart and I was like, why do these people even remotely want to keep working together, right? Like, like, so, um, so first of all, Hannibal's plan there, like, really heavily hinged on those uh cartel guys not using their own guns right mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. if just one of them was like fuck it man just shoot him with your gun like he <laughs> like he was sunk like that was it like <laughs> that was the beginning of the movie right and then you know when he meets <laughs> ba which i thought you know the introduction of, of ba was really great but when he meets ba and he like you know shoots him in the arm and is like you know come on like you gotta help me i was like why the fuck is this guy even gonna remotely help him after he shot him in the arm (laughs) and then they have this whole conversation about how they're both airborne rangers um and then you know i was like you guys are spending a lot of time talking considering they're gonna kill face like (laughs) like this is like a whole scene and you're rushing to get to your buddy like this this seems like crazy right so you know so there was that whole thing and also i think i was a little confused too about how they all became active duty military at the end of this because ba said something and maybe sean can answer some of this for me but ba said something about like yeah i was dishonorably discharged for some bullshit and then i was like Wait a minute. So how like how then are they in Iraq, you know, later on when they when they've been a a, a unit at the A team and been working together for like 8 years. Um yeah, I mean just between that and like, you know, meeting Murdoch and him like 
lighting people on fire and stuff like that. I was like, these guys have no reason to keep like to keep being buddies after this. Um, so I don't know. That was one thing that sort of struck me about the beginning of the movie. So I'll jump in on that because one, and I enjoyed the movie, so I'll defend it a little bit. The uh, I'm not saying it didn't have its issues, but I enjoyed it. <laughs> the uh, the so one, it's almost paying homage to the original '80s TV show, from what I remember of it. And again, it's been a while since I watched it, but the uh, just the the kind of uh, the hodgepodge of bad plans that barely worked out and could have gone wrong on the turn of a dime, and the the talking. While there's a serious issue going on elsewhere that they're just like, let's have a conversation while Face is about to die. Like, that seems reminiscent to me. As far as them being friends, that sounds about right. I don't know how many Rangers you know. I don't know a lot of them. uh, But I remember when Simons and Vince met, and Vince was a Marine, which is different, but not really. Uh, they just, the first time they met, they just beat the crap out of each other in the woods for like an hour and a half, like really just bloodied each other. And they're the best of friends. Like that was, that was how they said hello. So Rangers and, and Marines, I'll, I'll lump them all in together, which will offend somebody. Uh, they've got a whole different, different mindset. So Hannibal shooting him and then they both figure out their Rangers and laughing it off. That sounds about right to me. Um, that all felt right. As far as being dishonorably discharged and then somehow getting yourselves put in a unit together, that seems a little bit more like science fiction. But uh, also, I, I've seen the military just, you know, uh, I don't know. If they want something to happen bad enough, they'll just make some paperwork disappear. They're pretty good at that, too. I mean, it seems like it seems to me like and this is this is the head cannon that I piece together. Like this team, they work together and they do ridiculous stuff. So somebody at the army was like. We need a team that's really good at ridiculous stuff, so we're going to honorably recharge them so that we can use them to do ridiculous stuff. And that all happened off screen, and and that's how it goes in my head. Because that's not a great action movie. Exactly. <laughs> a six-hour hearing where they're undoing a dishonorable discharge, and he's re-enlisting. <laughs> like this, none of that is none of that is good to see. Which is to say that you could have just gone without the dishonorable discharge thing to begin with, and then no lo- no longer have to explain your way out of that situation. But Whatever. It would have been easier. It is. It, I'm 100% with you. It is a flawed movie, but it's so much fun that I don't care. Well, which, you know, I, I, I think that sort of brings me to, um, you know, to my to my next sort of thought about it, which was, again, if you're dissecting this as action sequences, uh, you know, woven together with plot, you know, the, the next action sequence, um, uh, w- which I thought was a great deal better um, was the sort of like oceans 11 style heist where they're, yeah, yeah where, where they're showing, you know, the, the model of the heist and then, you know, the heist taking place as it's happening, um, which, you know, there's some ridiculous stuff about it, but for the most part, I thought that one, you know, that was really well done. Um, but, you know, prior to that, and you, Chris, you had mentioned that like some of the, like some of the the dialogue and the story is so convoluted and so fast paced that it's like hard to get through and it takes you a little while to adjust to what's happening um you know i felt like that's that was the whole like the whole beginning of this before that heist because it's a it's a bunch of different government uh you know a bunch of g- different um government groups you know the dod the cia the army you know, whatever. And 
they're all going like, listen, a team, there's this, there's this, you know, these plates for making money and the Iraqis are going to try to move them. And like, you don't want to get involved in this. There's nobody else that could do it. You guys are the only one that could do it, but you don't want to get involved in this. Trust me, (laughs) you know? And so like to the point, like finally, when they start the heist, I'm like, why are they doing this? <laughs> and well, you know, that was just very clearly, uh, you know, Major Dad saying you don't want to get involved with this was his way of officially saying go get involved in this, but I'm not telling you to get involved in this. Right. But then again, that wouldn't make any sense in the long term with his weird betrayal plot or whatever. I just wanted to quick point out that one of my notes was this opening sequence is absolutely awesome. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean. I know that all of that stuff is what, you know, actually facilitates them uh, getting, you know, getting incarcerated and and that, you know, that it looks like they were trying to steal the plates and Mm -hmm. that they have no, they have no proof of their chain of command because their superior officer is dead or supposedly dead, right? Like, Uh I know that that's the whole thing that, like, you know, like brings us into the a team as as we know it as soldiers of fortune mm. but like just the fact that it was three different groups all going like oh you're the only ones that could do it a team but don't do it <laughs> you know like <laughs> it was a it was a tough place to start from i thought <laughs> i there was one uh, criticism i read of the movie that never once occurred to me until i read it just the other day and it is kind of a it is kind of a good point is that the movie doesn't really do the thing that the show did where they go around being soldiers of fortune, helping people on their like weird problems and stuff. Like it's all kind of set up to get to that point, which is why I really wish there would have been a sequel so they could get involved in like some sort of weird situation where they're hired to help somebody do something. Um, But that was kind of the whole premise of the TV show is like they get hired to help people with stuff and they didn't really do that in this. If I remember correctly, and I could be wrong, but in the TV show, I don't think they ever actually got themselves paid. It was always like, oh, we'll just help you out. Here's some free Chinese food. And like, <laughs> it kind of defeated the soldier of fortune uh, concept there. But yeah, you're right. They didn't help anybody. They weren't, they weren't heroes in this. They were just clearing their own name. Yeah. I guess they were saving the economy from whatever was going on with the plates, but I don't know. Well, yeah, I mean, it, well, yeah. by the end they had set themselves up for that, right? Cause they were still, you know, fugitives and they escaped. And so at the end they were ready to be the a team going out and doing jobs together, but they didn't actually do that in the confines of the movie. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, it, it, um, it, it could have and should have been like a trilogy, you know, like, um, uh, cause this, this story was sort of their origin story. Um, uh, in more than one way, like it had to show the meeting and then it had to show the event that made them outlaws. Um, and then it was like the end of the TV show where they're trying to clear their name. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it, it, it literally cut out all the stuff in the middle. Like they could have had two more movies where they just were, you know, where they had some big adventure that they had to go on to help somebody, you know, where they were the, I would have loved that. Because this cast was so much fun. I just, I, you know, a couple of small small issues, like B.A. using Mr. T's lingo didn't sound quite natural. Like, him him saying fool didn't really 
I don't know. It didn't really sound right to me. <laughs> the tattoos on the fist. The tattoos on the fist, though. Come on. <laughs> I, I, it just was I, I thought Rampage Jackson was like, he was great in that part. It was just, there was every now and then where he'd say something very specifically Mr. T. B. A. Baracus, and it like just kind of didn't really land for me. But that that's a minor quibble as opposed to my, my only, my, in my opinion, the only real weakness in the movie was Jessica Beale. I, uh, I've never seen much of st- stuff with her in it, uh, except for her cameo, series of cameos in BoJack Horseman were hysterical. So it's not like something personal against Jessica Biel. I just didn't really feel like her and Face had all that much chemistry. I don't know. She just, she kind of stuck out like a sore thumb to me in this movie. See, am, am I nuts? That's so funny because I actually thought that Quentin Rampage Jackson was the best one in the movie. Like, he was by far my favorite. Um, and, you know, I know sometimes it was a little hard to see somebody that wasn't Mr. T. And I also think that that's forever going to be the biggest the biggest stain on this movie was that it did not have Mr. T's blessing. Like, that just mm-hmm. just cuts me to the core. Um, but uh, I don't know, <laughs> did you man. you read that whole story about his his blessing in this movie and, like, how it didn't really make a lot of sense? Like, at first he was like, yeah, man, this is great. And then, like, he said something where, like, I don't really believe that this movie is doing the right thing. And then he cited a bunch of reasons that made no sense. Like, not even, are you talking about the same movie kind of thing? And then that was kind of the end of it. Well, I think at first they were like, hey, we're making a, you know, reboot of the A-Team. And he's like, great, when do I start? You know, and they're like, <laughs> they're like, no, 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 no. Like, you're not in it. Like, you know, like, you could, you could like, make a cameo, but, like, you're not B.A. Baracus. And he's like, what are you talking about? I am B.A. Baracus. Like, the character <laughs> is me. How are you going to get somebody else to be me? And it's like, Mr. T, literally actors do this all the time. It's their whole job. <laughs> the whole industry revolves around it. So I'm a huge Mr. T fan, and I don't know if you guys took the time to watch the Mr. T TV show that came out in like 2000. I'm just guessing. I'm going to say 2005. I think it was called I Pity the Fool. That might have been the name of it, where Mr. T goes around places and helps fix lives. Right. Oh, yeah. Like he showed he showed up at like a car dealership and he was like, what's going on here? We got to sell a bunch of cars to keep this place alive. All right, let's do this thing. Uh, it was called I Pity the Fool. It was from 2006. Oh, God, I'm good. I was like a year off. I was in the ballpark there. Well, I got for that on six episodes. Yeah, yeah, I got that on DVD. And it's <laughs> it's the hotness. Um, so if you listen to him in that, I as much as I love him, I don't know that coherence is really, like, one of the tools in his bag at this point. Like... As much as he's high energy and super positive, like 1980s, exactly what you want the 1980s to have been in your, like, fondest of memories, that's what he brings to the table. But, again, that's a different tool than coherent, logical, uh, you know, formulated arguments. So when you say he didn't give this his blessing and his reasons made no sense, I say, yeah, all right, well, I didn't know he didn't give it his blessing, but that all all checks out. All right, so so real quick, this this is from Wikipedia. Uh, Mr. T, the original B.A. Baracus, was offered a cameo but turned it down, feeling it would not be right for him to appear in the film if he did not play Baracus. In a 2010 interview with Script Magazine, director Joe Carnahan claimed that Mr. T, after viewing scenes from the film, thought the final product was, quote, the greatest thing in the world. 
After the premiere of the film, Mr. T allegedly stated that he had become disillusioned and felt the story emphasized sex and violence and that it was unfaithful to the original series. Uh, An attorney for Mr. T later stated that the actor had not yet seen the film and could not comment on it. So I will say this, I I don't know, again, from my vague memory of the original A-Team, there was a lot of gunfire and no one ever got hit, kind of like that G.I. Joe cartoon. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, So there definitely was some kills in this movie. Um, So maybe he was just super 1980s about we can't show people dying. I don't don't know. Again, he's... Yeah, like there was a whole plot point about his character not wanting, wanting to, to kill people. Yeah. Like so uh, Well and, and I, I think that that I, I mean I could be totally wrong about this, but I think that that was inserted into the movie because of Mr. T. Right? Like like um you know I I I love Mr. T. You I, you have to you have to look at this objectively and and divorce this this movie from the guy that is Mr. T. Um and I think it's a shame that he couldn't do that, right? But, like, um, you know, to me, and, and, like, I have this argument with people all the time. I think Mr. T is one of the most, like, one of the most, uh, uh, like, influential, um, what do you call it? Uh, just... Um, Icon? Yeah, well... Uh, Personality? I, I, think, I think he is... Celebrity? Um, Cheesecake? <laughs> <laughs> He is one of the cheesecake. Yes, that's the word. Um, <laughs> no, I, I just I, I, inspirational. That's the word. I think he is one of the most inspirational people, like that I've whose stories I've ever heard. Um, and I know, like I know it's silly because we think of him as this like you know cheesy character actor that's you know just got his like shtick lines. But like I don't know, Mister T has had a crazy life, man. Like. You know, he grew up on the south side of Chicago to a, a single mom. I think, Sean, you were the one that introduced me to his, like, rap song about his mom and, like, you know, respecting your mother. Um, yeah, that's a, it's a whole album. It's great. Yeah, yeah. I think we, I think we like, listened to it one time. Um, but, um, you know, and then, like, he, like, he legally changed his name to Mr. T because he saw, um, he saw the way that, like, people were treating his father that somebody called him boy or something like that. And that he was like, I'm not going to have anybody, you know, address me if they don't use formal terms and like formally change his name to Mr. T. Um, and you know, like he, uh, like the whole thing with the, with the gold was sort of like a status thing that like there were certain places in Chicago that wouldn't let you in. Um, and if you could actually show that you could afford to be there, if you like wore your wealth on your neck, you know, it was like this, this sort of like status thing. And then, you know, he like after the A team, which also I think he had, you know, I think he sort of had a, a big influence in, in like the content of the show and like it being a positive message, you know, like he was like as B.A. Baracus, he was always doing these things like kids don't do drugs, you know, like he was doing these, you know, announcements at the end of the show. Um, he would go and like visit kids in the hospital, um, kids that, you know, like, like the, like last, last wish kind of things. Um, mm-hmm. and then, you know, apparently like one of the reasons he dropped off the map in like the late nineties is because he got cancer. Um, and then, you know, the dude fought cancer and beat it. Um, and a lot of these kids that also did, like, were the ones that got him through it. Um, probably right before he started that crazy show where he had no business helping anybody 
like sell cars. It was, or... it, the show was great. The show yeah. was great. And I, I remember a, the show. I'm going to go amazing. into a quick. I'll try to make it a. I'll try to make this a quick tangent. And Chris, you're welcome to cut this out. You just brought <laughs> it up, so now I, I don't know if either of you haven't heard this story. When I was young, I met Mr. T. He came to the Rams Head in like uh, the early '80s at the same time as some political figure. He was there. They were doing some sort of because he would like. Uh, he was all into like politics. Like, I mean, it was the early '80s, so it was you know Nancy Reagan and everybody was don't do drugs and and that whole thing. Uh, but he was at the Rams Head because they were in Atlantic City, and the Rams Head was the nicest place to eat anywhere near Atlantic City. And my I was a huge Mr. T fan, and I was like ah, maybe four or five. And my dad calls down to the house. He's like, Mr. T's here. He's going to be coming out in a little while. There was some senator or somebody there, too, who was probably more important in the grand scheme of things. But I don't remember who that was. Uh, and so, clearly he wasn't more important because we remember who Mr. T is. Right, exactly, <laughs> exactly. So uh, I go running up there. Bonnie takes me up because I'm too young to go by myself. And we're standing out front of the ram's head waiting for them to come out. And Mr. T comes out. And there's not a lot of people there, but me and Bonnie are there. There might have been one or two other people standing there somehow they knew or whatever. And... Uh, Mr. T comes out, and I'm just awestruck because I'm like five, and this dude's huge, right? I mean, he's huge to most people, but like to a five-year-old, this is the biggest person I've ever seen in my whole life. <laughs> uh, and <laughs> he goes, are you good? Or something like that, you know? And Bonnie, my older sister, is nice enough to go, no, Mr. T, he's bad. And Mr. T goes, <laughs> you bad? And he grabs me and picks me up. Now, he doesn't hurt me or anything. He's picking up a kid, you know? And he picks me up, but he holds me up like higher than his head. He goes, are you bad? Don't be bad. Don't do drugs. And then he puts me down. And I swear to you, I didn't take an aspirin or a Tylenol or a, a freaking Claritin until I was in my 20s. Not only did I never smoke pot, not once. And I swear to God, it was trauma from that day. Because I was up in the air looking down at him and he yelled at me, don't be bad. Don't do drugs. And that was it. I mean... Of all our friends, how many of them at least tried pot? I've never once <laughs> smoked pot and refused to take any drugs, even healthy ones, for decades. I was like, nope, not, not doing this. Not doing it. That is the greatest story I have ever heard, and I wish I was you right now. It's the only celebrity I've ever met. It's the only celebrity I think I've ever met, and that was he traumatized me. I mean, in a in a good 1980s way that kept me from doing drugs, I guess. I don't know. That's all you need, man. If you're going to meet one celebrity... That's the one. That's the one. <laughs> I, I sometimes I think about it now that I've realized that's why I'm the only like one of the only friends we have that never never even tried pot. I'm like, all we need is to pay Mr. T to go around and pick up every kid. Like he could knock out a couple hundred kids a day, pick them up, scream <laughs> in their face. There's probably some other long term damage, but you know they'll fix the drug problem. So yeah, I had to interject with that. Yeah. Well. I, I, I think that some of that stuff where he's like, you know, I can't kill, you know, whatever. Like, I, I think that that was direct reference to sort of like who Mr. T, you know, the, the image he was trying to put forth at the time and who he sort of became, you know, later, later in life and later in his career. But then I also think like you can't like you can't have an action movie that does that, you know, like it, it didn't make sense for the rest of the movie. And then when he. Later on, when he takes that hat on and he's got the mo, you know, the, or takes the hat off and he's got the mohawk again, it's like, all right, well, what was like, what was the point of this journey? You know, like, why did we do this? Yeah, it was, uh, you know, effectively justifying uh, their way of life. To, because I guess one of the things that it did was show that even though they are willing to cross that line, they're still the good guys. I guess they, you know, they have to 
Well, they didn't necessarily have to because we are living in a fantasy world where they can fly a tank, but uh, it's it's also, I guess, kind of nice to have some sort of justification like, all right, yes, uh, sometimes you have to kill the bad guys, uh, which I don't know if I 100% agree with, but, you know, what are you going to do? In, in, in the realm of this thing, it didn't really bother me because it was like, all right, well, I'm going to make this, I'm going to make this vow, but at a certain point I got to cross that line and my conscience has to be clear with it. And I think they did a good job of presenting a fantasy situation wherein one's conscious could be clear after killing somebody. Yeah. And I think by having Hannibal like come up to him and talk to him, it kind of put them all on that same page of you were trying to uh, along the lines where you said, you're trying to distinguish their actions from the actions of the bad guys. The bad guys were killing people because they didn't care. And now you've, you've set aside You've set aside uh, B.A. Baracus and you've said, no, he does care. He's thought this through. He's given it thought. He, he's, it troubles him. But the greater good sometimes does weigh out. And like you said, mm-hmm. it, it gives it weight. And again, I think it just separates him and at least Hannibal, because Hannibal came up to him and kind of like, you know, got on the same page with him a little bit. And yeah, talked the whole to him about the Gandhi it. conversation. It shows that the two of them aren't uh, callous and they, they can't just kill without... Uh, you know, without thinking about it, it does have weight, and they, you know, you know, face they never really gave that to. And Murdoch has kind of got a pass because he's clearly got <laughs> serious mental issues. Like, I mean, there's there's other problems with the Murdoch character in, in the in the role of military. It's like, well, that guy's legit not okay. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I don't know. I kind of wanted to sort of pick apart some of the differences between these movie characters and like the tv show characters but i don't know i feel like uh i feel like i jumped the gun on something chris was gonna say which was about jessica beale yeah no i mean we can always you know circle back to that but i mean i don't know what did you guys think of her i didn't really i wasn't nuts about that character uh she didn't detract from the movie for me i mean i've seen her in a couple other things i i don't have strong opinions about her one way or the other she's fine i don't know uh and that's how I felt about her in this movie. She didn't add much to it for me. She didn't. She wasn't popping off the screen, being, uh, you know, I don't know, interesting. But she was a secondary character in the plot. Uh, I she didn't. Uh, what's that thing I'm supposed to have? Suspension of disbelief. She didn't like snap me out of it at any point. It's not like her acting was so bad that I was like, wait a second, you're you're an actress, and I've I've lost the illusion. Mm. Um, she didn't. She didn't add much either. I don't know. I think it was just more of a thing that I didn't think she was right for the part because everybody else in this movie meshed so well together and she didn't seem to have that same... Ever Everybody was so entertaining to watch and she was just fine. And I, I felt like that was kind of a a misstep because for she, sh- she should have been like somebody that could keep up with face, you know what I mean? And that just that I didn't feel like that was the situation there. Like on any time it was her and him, uh, Bradley Cooper was just like, no, that. Yeah, I'm, I'm paying attention to him. I'm not really paying attention to you. And I feel like for her to be a believable love interest for him, they, sh- they sh- she should have been like on his level as far as, uh, I don't know, charisma, if, I, if I'm making any sense. Yeah, I, I can see what you're saying, especially when you have a character like you know, like the character of Face, or at least like the character of Face was in this movie, um, where, uh, you know, like, uh, he's he's 
charismatic. He can't be tied down. He's playing all the angles, you know, stuff like that. You, if, if there's a love interest that you're supposed to root for them to be together, you want somebody that is going to, um, to give him a run for his money. That's going to be sort of, uh, that equally is able to play the game. I can, I can see that argument. Yeah. The only clever thing they showed her do the whole time is giving him the key at the end. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of where else she played the game. Like the, uh, like Face or Hannibal uh, played the game, and that's the only thing I could think of. Other than that, she was always kind of behind the, uh, you know, it was him saving her in the photo booth from getting shot, and uh, she wasn't able to really do anything in that first uh, that first mission. Like she came and talked to him, and they kind of blew her off, and she didn't know. And yeah, she I've, wasn't she wasn't nearly on his level. I thought that her team was incompetent. The yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> like when they showed the you know all the prison break stuff, um, which you know I guess if we're going in terms of action sequences, that was the next action sequence, right? We talked about them all meeting. We talked about the uh, we talked about the Ocean's Eleven heist. You know, I guess the third action sequence was them all breaking out of prison, which I also thought was pretty entertaining. Some of it more believable than others. I liked I liked how Hannibal got out. Um, I liked, I like how they sprung Again, BA. If, if even the slightest thing went wrong with Hannibal's plan, he would have been literally toast. But <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I seconds. don't know. Seconds. <laughs> well, and that's, that was, an, that's another thing about ha- Hannibal that I, I feel like I need to get back to. But, um, yeah, j- just in terms of, uh, you know, Jessica Beale and her team, they knew where they were going to go next. Like, they were like, there's two more people he's got to get out. Like, let's go there and head him off. They knew where the A-team was going to be. And, like, they blew it, you know? Like, could have been like, all right, surround the building, get every exit, blah, blah, blah. Instead, it's like, hey, let's go in and, like, kind of just meander around the crazy people and wait for somebody to bust through the wall and take Murdoch away. Like, they uh, they were not great at their jobs. No, definitely not. Though I will say, to Jessica Biel's credit, she gave the line, no, they're trying to fly that tank. Uh, she delivered that one quite well. We, we've danced around that scene a couple times. That scene, and I remember seeing this movie in the theater. I, I know you said it, it didn't do very well in the theater. I went and saw it. I brought a date. I don't think I stayed with that person, whoever it was. Uh, I don't remember off the top of my head, but I'm, I'm sure I didn't stay with them. Uh, <laughs> so you're currently not with them. Right, so yeah. I'm going to go with, yeah. That checks but out. But the... Uh, yeah, and, and maybe that's on me for bringing a date to an eighteen movie, but the now Karen and I saw that together, and we're married with two kids. So. Oh, see, so it's on whoever that was. It's exactly. their fault. It's their fault. The whole relationship. Uh, I remember when we got to that scene, that was it. I was like, "Well, this movie has already gotten an A plus from me because that scene was so good." Is he trying to shoot at us? No, he's trying to fly that tank. That's the best back and forth. <laughs> Of the year, possibly of that decade in movies. So I was like, that's it. This movie's good. Doesn't matter what they do from here on out. It could just be, you know, nonsense references to Smurfs. I don't care. Sold. Sold. And Never just, in an action movie have I seen that. Uh, it, it's, it's one of the most insane and entertaining things I've ever seen in a movie. And it keeps getting better as the scene goes. Like... First off, huge testament to the sound design team. When the tank is falling, when the, when the plane explodes and the tank falls out of it, and then, like, the tank 
zooms past the camera. And as the tank gets close to the camera, you hear them screaming inside of it and then get quiet again as the tank zooms past. Like, it's such a wonderful little tiny thing that just adds to the hilarity. And then, like, before they figure out, because I was with them on the inside of the tank, like, I couldn't figure out what they're doing. Like, what the, what is he shooting at? And like, no, no, we're not shooting at anything. And like, oh, oh, and I figured out pretty much at the same time Jessica Biel said it. And then like, they get toward the bottom and they just to slow themselves down, fire everything they have in the ground. <laughs> It's completely insane. And I laugh so hard every time because it's just the most brilliant, stupid action sequence I've ever seen. And the whole like ridiculous thing with the guy fishing with dynamite is just the just the little tiny cherry on top. It's just stupid and kitschy enough to make it work perfectly for me. And there's a rolling out. and They ask them for directions on the way out. Like brilliant. Just brilliant. Yeah, it's it's I think the the. I think it's one of the best parts of the movie. I mean, I, I love that scene too. It's amazing. Um, you know, I, I think that's though a good example of, you know, one of the places that this movie had some major strengths and then sort of where it's hard to get past, um, you know, the, the ways in which, uh, some of the things didn't work. Right. Because the, the, the dialogue when they're in the tank, you know, the dialogue between the four of them is amazing. Like, mm-hmm. you know, all, f- all four of them, um, are, are such good actors and they had such good, great chemistry together. Um, but then, you know, I feel like it really highlights some of the places where, you know, you could see the fingerprints of the, um, you know, of the writer or the director or whatever it is, you know, because like, there was times that Liam Neeson and um, Charlito Copley, like they, like they just, and 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 Bradley Cooper to a certain extent, where they just were like, it was like what, like what is this character supposed to be, right? Because, um, you know, uh, so first of all, like you could see that this movie was a product of the year that it was produced in, like one hundred percent, like. Like you weren't gonna get a bigger A-list cast than those three, at least, right? Like, well, outside of the Expendables, well, which is what a lot of people compared this to. Liam Neeson, just a year or two before, was in Taken. Like this movie oh, right, was yeah. in the middle of that Taken trilogy, right? Uh, Bradley Cooper just the year before had done The Hangover. So like he was right in the middle of that hangover trilogy and uh District 9 was I think the year before as well. So like, you know, Wait, the, who's, the f- who's in District 9? Uh Charlito Copley, the guy that was um that was uh Murdoch. Oh. I only saw District 9 once. I didn't I I didn't put that together, but okay. Yeah, he's like he's a little bit of a chameleon, that guy. Um but uh yeah, I mean, like, I feel like... You, and for you 2010, couldn't... Jessica Biel was probably... Uh, in 2010, my guess is Jessica Biel was one of the bigger actresses you could have... I mean, you know, aside from, like, a Julia Roberts or an Angelina Jolie. Like, I feel like that was might have been her heyday, like, 2010 to 2014 or something. Yeah, I mean, I guess, uh, I, I guess that's another place where she didn't make a big enough impact on me to want to see if there was, like some big property that she was, you know, involved in just the year or two before. 
Um, there, but like, there must have been because I know her name, so I, she must have been. She must have been like I, I'm not great with actors and actresses' names. That's not I mean, she suit. was she was from Seventh Heaven was like the big deal, and oh, then she like TV left actress. that show to do less savory things because she was like, you know, Seventh Heaven was this super Christian show. Um, I mean, what with the name and all. <laughs> The three of them, at least, were, like, huge at the time. Um, and, uh, you know, and I think Quentin Rampage Jackson was sort of cast because they, you know, they wanted somebody that could be Mr. T, that could, um, you know, that could that could not do a impression of Mr. T, but, like, have the energy and charisma of Mr. T. Um, which I think is why I enjoy him the best, because, like, you know, I'm not... I'm not, I'm not, I don't have anything else to base him off of, you know, I'm just like, I look at this movie and like, this guy is holding my attention the whole time and just like killing it, you know, like, um, he, I I think he's just one of my favorite parts of the movie, but you know, when I compare like, like, uh, Hannibal, for example, you know, like Liam Neeson and maybe he he was doing a little bit of like a holdover thing from Taken, you know, where he was telling us about his amazing set of skills. Um but uh you know like he he really harped on the plan a lot of the time. Like he and and uh and Face were like constantly at odds being like, you know, he's like you don't listen Face, you know, it's the plan. We got to do the plan, blah blah blah. Like to a to a certain point where you're like, dude, Liam Neeson, like shut up. Like we shut up about the plan because yeah, you but know, his plans were so good. Well, his plans but like, insane. I always felt like in the in the TV show that like George Papard, like, like that he kind of just like rolled with what was going on. Like the like the most ridiculous stuff could happen, and he would just like smile like somebody's kindly old grandpa and be like, oh, I guess we're doing this now. And then at the, at the end, he would go like, I love it when a plan comes together. And it was almost as if he was like, didn't expect this to go so well. Like, <laughs> you know, like it was, it was just a completely different vibe. Yeah. Like they really kind of rejiggered his character around, uh, the phrase, I love it when a plan comes together to be like super literal. Like, no, he really loves it when a plan comes together. <laughs> Like, this is what he lives for. And I guess they kind of did that to play off of Face to try to be, like, make Face kind of the main character, I guess, to have his, like, growth arc be that he's great at the chaos and getting into trouble and his heart's in the right place, but he doesn't plan things out, and so he gets to learn how to plan things a bit. Yeah, and with with Murdoch, um, you know, I, I mean, like, I feel like from the, the 80s TV show, like... Murdoch was just like he was wacky, you know, like he was the guy that you expected to say or do a wacky out of character thing that sort of like threw everybody off or made them laugh or um you know, like sort of put the put the villain on edge. But like in this, I literally thought that he was like psychotic sometimes. Like they were like <laughs> zapping him with electricity and you know, he's like I don't feel pain anymore and I was like what is happening here? <laughs> I, I I appreciated I appreciated that I again it's been a while since I watched the TV show, but uh, while I think they might have upped it a little bit, that's little kid Sean watching the A Team. This is kind of like the grown up version of like I don't know. I in my memory, Murdoch is crazy. He's you know insane. You don't know what's going to happen, and it's it's not it's not like 
oh, he's a wild card. It's no, he's got, got a clinical issue. <laughs> like this is this is this is seriously. You don't know what's going to happen next. And they they just escalated that. And I I enjoyed that a lot. You're right. They probably took it a lot further than the TV show ever did. But I I grown up Sean needed it to go a little further. And and that that's what they gave me. I think when the dialogue worked and they were all riffing off each other and having fun and you know sort of saying these like jokey like out of the box things you know and it wasn't just the the a team doing that it was it was other characters too like i love the the scene where the the villains are in the car and the you know the the one guy is like you know he's like put the gun to his head and you know the guy's like oh like he's like showing him how to like screw on the silencer you know in the car and he's like commenting on everything that he's doing wrong and stuff like that please you know, like please my last request don't let this guy shoot me <laughs> yeah. yeah i mean like when when everybody was riffing off each other and the and the you know they were finding these funny bits is when it was the best and then i think when you had the sort of fingerprints of the you know, the director or the writer or whatever it is that got really heady into like, this is the plan. You know, I think, I think that's when the, the movie fell apart a little bit for me. Which, and, and to their credit, that was a good move, but uh, is a departure from the TV show. But you, you got it. You can't, again, we're not looking for a shot for shot remake, or are we? Mm-hmm. Uh, the bad guys in the original TV show were about as flat as you could make them, right? <laughs> I mean, like, other than maybe like a, a maniacal. You know, right before the commercial line of, but they'll soon find out their doom. Like, other than maybe that, you just had like nameless, bland, you know, I'm the thugs. Uh, but I think giving them depth and that, that wittiness was a, 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 it filled the time between the action sequences very well. Yeah. And speaking of the action sequences, I, I also want to just mention how much I enjoy. Like as soon as every single time Karen and I watch this movie, once the containers show up on screen, we're just like we both sit up like, all right, let's do this <laughs> because it's when when they they're literally playing like with three different cranes and spinning the 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 containers around of like trying to do the whole like then they get fireworks like it's so so far over the top that it, I, I just can't help but like sit in awe of and marvel how completely absurd this whole sequence is. But I, I, I love that bit. That was, that was another, that was another sequence that didn't work for me. You know, like, <laughs> like again, like, you know, it's, it's a lot of action scenes woven together by plot. And, you know, a lot of them, a lot of them I really like, you know, um, I, I like the, the, you know, the heist thing. I like when they're breaking out of jail, you know, there's, there's some in the middle that are fun and interesting, but the sort of like three card Monty at the end with the cranes, I, I, I think it was like, I think it was the right instinct, but I think that there was so much, there was so much that was crazy about it that at the end I was like, I don't think this could happen. Like I, like, Uh, maybe I should stop complaining. Maybe this is exactly the thing that I wanted it to be. How, you know, how, uh, uh, you know, I feel like the embodiment of Hannibal is that, you know, like we just put a bunch of crap together and hope it works out. And then when it does, you go, ah, lo- like, see the plan worked, you know, I, I, 
Because I feel like that's how the end was that, you know, they're like, we'll do this and we'll do that, you know, and then they knock over all the shipping crates and like, you know, it's literally as if like all the blocks fall off the table, like, you know, there's uh-huh. a big mess on the floor and as if they still go, ta-da! <laughs> <laughs> I loved it. I loved it so, because yeah, everything did go, go to crap and then they had to kind of salvage it and... I mean, once he got to the point, the point where I kind of lost the thread, I mean, I was still very, very entertained, but I really lost the thread. And it took me like, I think a couple of times of watching it to, to fully understand what was happening with the, they took the sound clip that Hannibal recorded of Major Dad saying, Hannibal, don't do this. Then they put it in a doll and then the doll, they took the thing out of the doll and put it inside of a bulletproof helmet that they put on Murdoch so that he could pretend to be the general when they shot him in the head and it was bulletproof. But since he was crazy, all the sound and j- shook up his head and it didn't really matter all that much. So they convinced the guy that he was not really. De- I just got so confused. It was a very convoluted plan. But again, I didn't care because things went boom and they went boom so well. <laughs> I, I got all that. I I I I understood their intention of, and it was explained very well of drawing Lynch out because he's a guy that lurks in the shadows, and that you need mm-hmm. to draw him out with something that seems like a sure thing, and then you need to expose him, like the the writing, eh, and the and and the sort of like you know setup of the the heist with the you know the cups and the balls was like moderately well done like it was it was good enough that um that i think it it did the scene justice like it was sort of just that that you know for things to fall apart that badly where like like the entire ship you know sinks and explodes and all of the crates fall to the ground i was like how is it that they're still able to expose this at the end like how is it that they still have a crane ready to do their big reveal um it was uh i don't know it was a little bit nuts it was completely nuts and i think that's what i loved about it yeah i i i, I finally like really picked up on it the the second time I saw it, but I remember seeing it in the theater and and like being so distracted by all the shiny bits and not really f- I didn't really follow like how they made the sound and all that stuff. I, I guess I just kind of missed something, but uh, either way, it all made sense to me eventually. I just kind of missed it the first time around. You could have blinked and missed it. I think they showed you the baby dolls for like two seconds. Um, I did follow it, but I, I could see how somebody would miss it again if they blinked. I think it was like one quick shot of somebody playing with the baby doll and like slowing down the sound on it to make it apparently sound exactly like that other guy just by slowing down the the mm-hmm. mama slower. I, I don't exactly understand why that worked, but... Well, they didn't slow it down. They, they put a recording of him because, right... He Hannibal had that Hannibal, conversation. Mama. Yeah, they they had that whole conversation with him where he said Hannibal don't do this and they then they showed Hannibal had recorded that conversation and then they showed him taking that sound and using the chip from the baby doll and re-recording over the baby doll's speech and using the little baby doll chip inside the helmet that they put on Murdoch. Right. Right. Yeah, I, I basically followed it the first time I saw it, but again, it, it was quick, and I could see how someone could lose it. The uh, what 
was I going to say? But ah, I lost it. No, I got nothing. <laughs> no, it was. Uh, it, oh, I remember. It. Paul said it was moderately well done. I, I think so too, because I think they did have something of a convoluted plan that they wanted you to follow. And by showing you the three card Monty, although it wasn't three card Monty, he was doing the cup ball thing, but same same concept. Uh, by doing that while they explain that we have to draw them out, like that was kind of all interlocked like cut scenes or whatever, if I remember correctly, I kept jumping back and forth a little bit. Hmm. Um, I think that was, I think it was well enough done. You said moderately well done. I think they did it because I think they did it. Like the goal there has got to be to have it so that everyone can follow along and still get to your action scenes uh, unencumbered. And I think they managed to pull that off, which I think is the only goal there. As long as everyone can follow along, more or less, uh, and you get to that that nice, clean, unencumbered action scene with a little bit of meaning behind it, I think you did your job exactly what you were trying to accomplish. That's the... um, If you were confused, if you watched the super, super, super extended cut... You know, then they have Murdoch being like, well, you see, we're going to take this tape recorder and use the, you know, <laughs> they really spell it out for you. But you didn't see that. You just saw the extended cut. See? And he won't see my face, so he won't know it's not me. Put this ketchup yeah, I... in here. Yeah. <laughs> that was, that was, they lucked out on that ketchup. The bullet hit the ketchup packet because when you see it at the end, like the helmet, there's only like a couple lines of ketchup wrapped around it. Like, <laughs> really lucked out there too. Again, one of those plans that really needed to flawlessly come together to, uh, you know, actually be pulled off. But I don't know. I I, I think that kind of covers it, right? I mean, is there anything else we need to talk about with this movie besides? I I I overall love this this movie. I'll watch it again and again. Um even though having this conversation has exposed a few of the, like, I've never really bothered to try and dissect it, right? Because I've I've only ever sat down and watched it and been, that was awesome. And then every other time I've watched it since, I've just been totally enthralled by the awesomeness of it and never really put much thought into why I liked it and uh, seriously considering it. And uh, even with the flaws that have kind of come to my attention, I still I still love it. I will still absolutely watch this movie over and over again. Uh, what what are you, what are your guys' final thoughts? Uh, I, I love this movie. I, I loved it in the theater. Uh, I think it didn't do well because you just didn't have a property that could draw people in enough. I mean, I love the A Team because I grew up on it and I got you know that nostalgia for it and that got me out there. But uh, I don't I don't think it was the movie's fault. I think it was a great action movie and anybody who saw it, uh, kind of like what I said with Mortal Kombat, if if you went to an A Team movie and you got this and weren't happy, you're wrong. Like, this is everything that movie should have been. Uh, you know, not necessarily for everyone. It's an action flick. I loved it. Uh, it's on my top action movies of all time list at number 49, which seems low. But I, there's, there's a lot, lot of action movies out there. There's a lot of action movies out there. The fact that it's, it's on the list makes it great, in my opinion. Uh, and I'd, I'd recommend it to anybody who thinks maybe they want to watch an 18 movie. This is the movie to watch. Yeah. I recommend it. I know that I was I know that I was hard on it at times during uh this the course of the evening, but like all in all I recommend it. Uh I, I feel like, you know, having watched it, you know, ten, twelve years ago and then having watched it now, it doesn't hold up as well as I thought. But um but I certainly think that it is an enjoyable movie and I would 
certainly spend my night with this movie uh, more so than a lot of things. So uh, I'm it's gonna get a it's gonna get a thumbs up from me. Um, and then I, you know I would give the caveat that like after you're done, you know, pop on some '80s A Team and enjoy some Mr. T because that's a that's a thing that you should do. Yeah, that's definitely something that I did after watching this. You know, watch some some original A Team and. I am uh, I'm I'm hankering to find the time to to blow through that series because that show's fun, man. <laughs> now all of a sudden I want to go online and buy a box of that Mr. T cereal from the 80s and eat that. I know that's going to make me sick, but I think I might do it anyway. I was always worried about Mr. T in the A team because they had to drug him a lot to get him on planes. Like <laughs> that was always a major part of every episode. And I was like, I don't think it's good to be sedated every single day. Like <laughs> this doesn't seem healthy. Oh, so real quick, I, I know we're trying to end this, but I, I do appreciate two things. Well, no, I appreciate one thing that they explained why an airborne ranger has a fear of flying. Because while it didn't pose a problem to young Sean watching the A-Team, in <laughs> retrospect, that's a serious question. And they answered that in this, so that's nice of them. And second, uh, they could have just leaned into that for one scene. I know they leaned into a lot of things, but they could have just thrown in a scene where, where Mr. T was like, ain't no drugs in this milk, is there? And that really would have been nice, because like, that's really what it came down to. I mean, I don't know if he ever said that line on the original series, but... That's basically what happened in most of the episodes, right? Ain't no drugs in this milk, is there? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then they'd, like, stick a needle in his neck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did think that that was a nice distinction, that he wasn't afraid of flying. He was afraid of flying with Murdoch. <laughs> right, or, or he'd grown a fear of flying after falling out of the helicopter. Yeah, either way, it was like... Because rangers jump out of planes. That's what they do. How are you a ranger? But you got to fear. But no, they, they solved that. They, good work. Solid work by them. Yeah, that was that was very well handled. Yeah, uh, agreed. Solid approval. All right. Well, I guess uh, I guess that's going to wrap it up for our show. I think it's time for us to begin our next conversation, as in what is our next film going to be? So um, our next recording date I have written down is June 30th. So notable movie release. We, we could switch to a, a new movie or we can continue with the alphabet and move on to the letter B. So the only notable stuff that I came up with were uh, coming out before then is uh, Cruella in the Heights, Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard and F9, which is the Fast and Furious movie. Now, do we want to cover something like that or maybe something that I didn't mention or do we want to move on to the letter B? I have never seen a Fast and Furious movie, so to start with F9 seems like a solid plan. I'm in! <laughs> I, I also have never seen any Fast and Furious movies. Maybe, maybe, Wild! Maybe like the first Wild. I have also not seen any Fast and Furious <laughs> Unbelievable! We're, if you took a random selection of three people out of a thousand in this country... I don't think you could. I don't think you could hit that mark in a hundred tries. It never, never one of them. Just, it wow. might be They're really hugely popular. It might be really fun for us to watch it together. Like it might, you know, it, it, it that might be a hoot if we have never seen one of these things and watch it. But I'm not sure anybody wants to listen to that. Like I don't, I don't know if you want to watch the, you know, <laughs> listen to the three of us watch, you know, the ninth installment and then like talk about all the things we didn't understand. <laughs> Why 
did this character do this? I don't understand the background. Who are these people? Well, well, the four listeners we have are just screaming at their podcast. If you watch the first eight movies, <laughs> there's a lot of story built up already. I don't. Yeah, that might not be a great plan. All right. So, uh, so, so, what's what's the vote then? Do we do we want to try and go with an, a new movie, or do we want to move on to the letter B? Uh, none of those movies are really striking my fancy. I mean, I don't know that I have to. I don't know that I have to be excited about a movie for us to talk about it, but um, I don't know that uh, Cruella is high on my my list of things I want to watch. But I'll, I'll do it yeah. if everybody else does. Huh? Yeah, I mean, no, I'll, I'll watch any of those you tell me to watch, but none of them are jumping out at me. And I will say this about the Disney live-action crap. I just, it's, it's it's driving me up a wall at this point. I know Cruella's at least slightly, at least it's like some backstory on a character that already exists, but they've just taken every cartoon that I loved as a child, turned it into live-action, and I don't think it was necessary. And I'm I it. totally and, agree and with you. And the fact that the quote-unquote live-action Lion King was nominated for the best animated feature should have told you a lot about the problems with that one. <laughs> yeah, I was... Um, um, uh, I know uh, Karen would love for us to watch In the Heights because she is just a huge Lin-Manuel Miranda fan. Uh, I don't know. It's it. Uh, it's not a... None of those things are really jumping out at me. So my, my vote goes uh, to we, that we move on to the letter B. Love it. Great. All right. So now that we're moving on to the letter B, <laughs> I have to I have to just just uh, eat humble pie because I was telling you how I was so excited because I had a great uh, alliteration uh-huh. for B. And then uh, I, I explained to Jacqueline what it was. And in explaining it to her, I was trying to list all the, the famous actors that are in it. I mean, some good actors. We're talking uh, Jonathan Lithgow. Peter Wellers, Jeff Goldblum, Christopher Lloyd, like the list goes on. This is this is a movie from my childhood that I love. And then I looked it up to tell her the rest of the actors because I couldn't think of them all. And the movie doesn't start with the letter B. It starts <laughs> with the letter A. The letter A? Yeah. What movie is it? The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai. Oh. And if you haven't watched that movie, oh my God. Christopher Lloyd and Jonathan Lithgow playing off of each other as crazy aliens plotting to take over the world it is oh i say aliens they're not technically from space they're from another dimension that exists within the same realm as ours but you can't see them unless you go through this mountain like peter wellers does after cowboy jeff goldblum helps him do a surgery it doesn't matter because we're not watching it because it starts with the letter a i have a different one that's not an alliteration to put forward for b all right fair enough makes me sad well then well then then what is it for B, you guys really want to vote me down, but uh, I'm going to put forth Baby. B-A-B-Y. Came out in the early 80s. The main star was the guy who played Greatest American Hero on the TV series. Um, he might be the only famous person in it. It's about a baby brontosaurus that they find alive in the jungles of... I'm going to go with the Congo. But half of that information could be wrong. It. If we because choose that, if we choose that, I won't be heartbroken. That's all. It sounds like something I could totally rip apart. <laughs> oh, you'll be able to rip it apart, my friend. You will be able to tear into this. It's something I remember watching as a child. I think the title might be longer. It might be like Baby of the Lost Jungle or 
Baby. I'm trying to find it on IMDb. Baby. You said it was the Greatest American Hero guy? I'm 90% sure it was the Greatest American Hero guy, but again, half of what I say is wrong all the time. So we're talking William Cat. I just looked up Baby, and nothing oh. was showing up by, like that. Watch, this one doesn't start with the letter B either. Let's see. Uh, I think it's not off to a great start when you don't know the names of anything or what letters they start with. I'm looking it up now. Baby colon secret, secret of, of the, the lost, lost legend. legend there it is 1985 85 what did i say early 80s that's that's yeah. about right i've never even heard of this before it wasn't it wasn't great the reason i thought of it uh well one i watched it a lot as a child uh and the reason i thought of it is i was recently going through a collection of uh trading cards and i came across baby secret of the lost legend trading cards and i was like they made trading cards for this movie? That's wild. I haven't thought about this movie in 30 years. So that's what brought it to the surface of my memory hole. You you heard it here fo- first, folks. Glowing recommendation. It wasn't great. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's your pull quote for the back of the box. <laughs> it wasn't great, Sean Doyle. All right, baby secret of lost legend. That's an option. Uh, Paul, what do you have for us? All right, so when we... Um, you know, when we did this last month and we all, uh, you know, we all talked at the end and figured out we were going to do a team. I, I kind of felt like the big issue was that we had all sort of talked beforehand and that we had, um, you know, that we had all kind of like, like sort of agreed on a movie that we all liked. Um, and I, I think that, you know, us saying that we we're going to discuss it now at the end and not tell each other what movies were our picks. Um, you know, I think that's sort of better, but as I was looking through my list, I was like, well, like there's certainly movies that I want to subject you guys to. Like there is, there are some things where when we get to them, I'm going to be like, this is a thing that I want you guys to watch. And I want to talk about with you guys and unpack. Um, but then I was like, you know, maybe not every pick should be something that I've seen a bunch of times. And then I'm excited about, you know, like this is the chance to see some new things or some things that are notable that I haven't seen before. Um, so I don't know. I came up with one pick that was something that, you know, I think is a movie that, uh, I- I'm told that, you know, people should see and is a notable movie, but that I've never seen. Um, and then I came up with a pick of something I've seen a bunch of times that I like watching. So which one, which one do you want? Wow. Uh, I don't know. They both sound very interesting to me. Oh God, let's go with let's go with notable. I'm gonna my votes for notable. What's right. this notable movie that you haven't seen that you think we should be watching? So based on nonsense. Again, I can't I can't speak to if it's good or not because I've never seen it. But um, I've heard enough about it that I feel like I should see it. Uh, the movie is called uh, The Big Night. Um, it was made in the mm, early to mid '90s. Um, it's got. Uh, the Tooch in it, Stanley Tooch, uh, before, uh, you know, before he was uh, traveling around Italy and, um, you know, telling everybody what kind of spaghetti to make. Um, you know, this is like young Stanley Tucci and uh, and uh, I don't remember the other actor in it, um, but uh, they are like starting an Italian restaurant. Um, the whole, you know, the, the story is about them in this Italian restaurant, so... Oh yeah. That, what what year was this? Uh, I don't 1996. Know. It's 1996. I have, I'm looking it up as you're talking. 96. About it. It's got Stanley Tucci and Tony Shalhoub. 
So that's going to be my huh. my pick. I've never heard of this one. I have also never heard of that one. Allison Janney, Mini Driver, Isabella Rossellini. There's a lot of people here. Wow. That's a yeah, big night. There it is. Nice. Campbell Scott. I don't know who that is. Never even heard of that name, but he's probably important. Oh, fascinating. All right. Uh, well, I guess uh, I kind of feel like my pick might fall flat, but then again, I don't know. Um, this is a movie I saw recently, but saw exactly once. And now that I had a little bit more space between it and myself, I would like to, I would very much like to watch again and see if it still impresses me as much as it did upon first viewing. And that would be Bill and Ted Face the Music. I saw it once as soon as it came out. And I remember really liking it. Me and Paul had a conversation about it. But now that I've had a little bit more time to digest it and maybe uh, watch the other two uh, real quick beforehand, since we have a month before we actually watch it, I'd be interested to see if I still like the new movie or if it was just like, this was the right thing at the right time. So I guess the way that we need to do this is nobody can vote for their own pick. Hmm. Yeah, it doesn't actually prevent us from having a three-way tie, but it probably greatly reduces the odds. <laughs> All right, who Shifts. who wants to vote first? I'll, I'll go. I'm going to vote for uh, Chris's movie. I, I thought I was going to vote for Paul's, but I actually didn't watch the Bill and Ted thing. It's been on like the top of my list of things to watch for for how long ago did it come out? Four months? Five months? Six months? It came out during pandemic. Time has point, no right? meaning. Who knows? Time has no meaning. <laughs> so I like every. Every time me and Jacqueline sit down to watch a movie, that's in the, the, the top three. It's like, are we watching this, this, or Bill and Ted? And we just haven't done it yet. So, And I, I love those movies growing mm. up. So uh, I'll vote for that because i got to get to it. Well, Chris, I think then your pick is going to win because I'm not voting for the Baby Dinosaur movie. <laughs> <laughs> Which, amusingly enough, would have been my vote for the Baby Dinosaur <laughs> Because out of the two of them, I mean, the Big Night sounds fanta- sounds fantastic and very interesting and probably something we should see. But I'm fascinated by this baby movie. <laughs> you shouldn't be. You shouldn't be. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, Mystery Science Theater fan and all, there's definitely oh, a... Th- they should have done it. They would have had a great time with it. All right. Uh, so is that the consensus then? Are we all are, are we happy with Bill and Ted Face the Music? Yeah. Again, I'm thrilled with it. I've, I've been planning to watch it and just haven't had like I, just, I don't know how I haven't watched it yet. So this is this makes it easy. I, I have a lot. Right. To, I have a lot to say about Bill and Ted Face the Music. Um, yeah, I feel like we didn't get to fin- like have a big full conversation. Like, right, was that one of our big long couple hour phone calls, or was that something we like talked about real quick and then we're like, we're going to talk about this more later? I don't remember. Yeah, I but don't know. We, either way, we can start this podcast right now. I mean, I'm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to have a lot to contribute, but I'll try. <laughs> I like the name. <laughs> I'm glad to see Bill again because it was just Bill and Ted and then Lost Boys and then and then we lost him. Where did he go? <laughs> he did a lot of directing, I think. All right, all right. Save all right. it for next month. Save it for yeah, next month. All right, all right. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. All right, all right then. Uh, we'll be recording on June 30th. Uh, I don't know when the episode will post, whenever I'm done editing it, I suppose. But our next episode is going to be Bill and Ted Face the Music. I'm I'm excited. I'm I'm excited, Civil. I'm looking forward to watching it again. All right. Um, well, then I guess uh, that's going to wrap things up. Theater Near You is a part of the Geekade Podcast Network. And if you'd like to get in touch with us to share your comments, movie suggestions, or whatever, you can send us, send us an email at mail at We can also be found on most social media outlets and the official Geekade Discord server, all of which can be found in our show notes. 
Thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll see you next time in the theater near you.